Hello and welcome to The Steminist, a show about women in STEM. I am Ria. I'm Cecilia. And we're your hosts for this week's show. We're here at the Open Studios ready to check out some interactive media. So Cecilia, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, yes, I am from Guatemala and I am currently studying engineering. Um, but honestly, I am still very confused about it. I'm not sure if that's what I want to do because at the same time, I really like politi political science and a lot of things leaning towards the humanities. You know what? I feel like you'll really be able to relate to this week's interviewee. My undergrad was in political science and then my first master's was in uh, media studies. And then I started working in the real world and I realized I didn't like that. So I went back to school for um, game development, game design and game development. And from game design and game development, I, I realized that it was a, that's where I learned uh, how to code, but that's also where I learned that games are very insulated medium. Um, it's very isolating from the rest of the world and I was very concerned about the rest of the world. Uh, so I moved towards interactive media, which uh, basically interfaces with all the different systems that we're in. But for now, let's dive into the Open Studios event that we attended. Yeah. What were your thoughts on it, Cecilia? Well, you know, I thought it was very interesting. It was definitely, definitely a lot to take in. There were so many projects in so many different areas. And I actually thought it was very cool because... I realized that I actually didn't know much about interactive media, which is kind of what we're going to focus on today. Before Open Studios, you know, I had kind of an idea of what it was, but I had never actually seen it or interacted with it. Mm -hmm. So even for me going into it, you know, even though we were interviewing people, it was a learning experience for me. I feel like now that I see it, I'm just a lot more interested in it. A week before Open Studios, Cecilia and I actually went to a workshop in interactive media, it was on projection mapping. Yes, actually, it was two hours, and I procrastinated way too much doing it, <laughs> but I think it was definitely worth it. It's a very productive um, way to procrastinate it. Yes. Was that your first time, in, like, getting involved with interactive media at all? Yes, yes, I had heard about it, but I never really paid much attention to it because I didn't realize what it was. I feel like if I knew what it was, I would have started in like being part of it a lot earlier. So yeah, that workshop was actually a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, we got to work as a team. We did, we did. And I realized how bossy I actually am. <laughs> Definitely. Cecilia um, did all the hard work while I yelled at her. So basically, we got a background, some sort of environment, mm -hmm. and we played with projectors and um, Isadora, I think, was yeah, the name that, of the yeah. program. And um, basically, it was just about cutting images, cutting the background into different sections and making it fit. A 3D plane instead of yeah. a 2D plane. So instead of projecting on, an, on a 2D flat wall, we projected on things that actually had texture, so like the corner of the wall or a box. And we tried to basically crop the image and distort it so it would fit the object and create the illusion of it actually being a 3D projection. Yeah, I think yeah. we were pretty successful too, so, so that was great. What do you think you're going to do now with interactive media? Well, I mean... Going to go if to my workshops? Yeah, definitely. And if my schedule allows, because obviously an engineering schedule is very um, fixed, but I definitely want to take some class in 
involving interactive media because I feel like it's worth exploring. You know, it can be very useful regardless of what I decide to do later on. And it's just plain fun, you know? It's so much fun. I actually, the first time I heard about interactive media was during Kendall Weekend because I accidentally signed up for a sample class taught by Scott Fitzgerald, who is the head of interactive media. All right, so the class was on generative art, which is totally not what I thought that was based on the name. It was basically, we talked about the examples of using algorithms to create artworks. So like oh, programming cool. a computer to follow a pattern or to do it even manually. Like he had an example of a concert performed by this person who basically made the same sorts of noises over and over and over again. And he also played with silence and like silence was part of the concert. And it was basically all about using patterns of some sort to, you know, influence the audience and to create some sort of artistic effect, which I thought was like the coolest thing because I've never thought about that before. And like that class was actually very philosophical because the same kinds of topics that we talked about, we talked about the nature of life, nature of the universe, and we kind of just went all over the place. I remember thinking that if all the classes are like that, like making you kind of think all over the place and make connections the way you would have never expected to, that it would be something I'd really love to get involved in. I'm so sad I couldn't take any of the classes this semester or this year at all. There's no space my schedule for electives yeah I feel so I emailed Scott like at the beginning of the year going like can I get involved with this somehow and he like added me to the mailing list and that's how I started going to the workshops which I dragged you to yeah, yeah. so back to the event how would you describe the setup that they had well we went to the IM lab first which was very hard to find yes very hard to find I was <laughs> in the arts and once you got there, you know, it was in some way, it was a very stressful environment. How so? Because there was just so much noise. That's true. So much noise. And so many flickering lights everywhere. everywhere. Yes. So it was just, it didn't feel like it was a stable room, but you could move from project to project and it was just very cool. You know, the students were there showing you around, saying, this is what you do, just play around with it and that's what we did it was it was a lot of fun it was also like very cool to see how excited the students were about their own projects you know it it just made you want to test it out in front of them and seeing their anticipation to see how you would react to their project it kind of makes me want to be in their position and i like how it wasn't like a full-on presentation format they kind of just put you in front of the project and made you interact with it no instructions no oh you do this and this means this no you do it first and then they explain it to you and after we left the interactive media lab, we went to the second floor, which had another installation on VR. The, uh, the event that was running in, in C155 was a demonstration of the HTC Vive, uh, which is a virtual reality headset. This is Professor Pierre de Paz. He is currently a professor at NYUAD. Also, I am so sorry if I just completely butchered the name. Um, and he is working with interactive media, teaching a very interesting course, which we will talk about later on. That was actually the first time I ever tried VR. Yeah, me too, actually. What did you think um, about it? It was awesome. It was, <laughs> it was just plain awesome. There was a huge line, like a huge queue for it. So the VR headset that we got to use is called the HTC Vive. And basically it allows you to not only control it, you're using the VR helmet. It also has the controllers in your hands. But furthermore, it also detects your location. There was a setup area specifically designated for the VR in the room. And then on the two sides, you had the two trackers kind of like on a V or something. So it could actually track where you're moving and 
enable you to interact with it in such a real way. It was actually crazy. Yeah, I remember one of the people there started playing with the fire setting. So basically you could choose from different options, whether you wanted to paint or if you wanted to have stars or fire. Yeah, and he made a fireplace, you know, so he made kind of a, a pretty big fire and then just played around and made like columns around it. <laughs> and it looked very real. What was the first thing you did when you put it on? Well, actually, it was very hard for me to decide what I wanted to play around with, you know, so I just started with just straight lines. And I kind of tried to make a dome around me with a kind of spiral pattern. And then I don't know why it would be cool, but just got stars and put them all around the floor. And then what I loved about it is that I could actually walk out of the dome and see it from the outside. So it was like you could go out and create something else and then just walk into the little world you had created two seconds ago. You know what freaked me out the most? Like my first impression of it was... I put on the headset and then I had to adjust it because my head is tiny. So I was adjusting it and I just see these floating controllers in front of me. Yes. Because the professor was holding them. And that was like the creepiest thing. And then he starts moving them towards me so I can touch them. And it's like, <laughs> it's like an actual physical thing just floating in there. And just that weird interaction between the VR world and the real world was, what is this? It's so trippy. <laughs> yeah. <gasps> yeah, and that was so scary because I accidentally like bumped into him at one point and that scared me so much because you forget you forget that you're not Obviously, there. it becomes so real that you you forget that there's actually the real world yeah. around you But what I did was I actually didn't play around with the painting function at all to be honest I just made like a little circle around me and then I was like oh can I paint on the sky oh yeah I can and then I stopped playing around with that I found the teleport button you could like select a place in the VR location and teleport to it oh I did not see and that and it was so crazy because it messes with your perception completely like, like you're standing here and you click on it and suddenly you see the same place from like a completely different location and you actually feel like you've teleported Wow. And I was just playing around with it, going like as far as I could go. And then I found the change environment. So I played with all the environments. The main one was kind of like a purple, empty land with mountains in the back and like a weird column that you could draw on. But the other ones that I tried, there was a space one which I described as being the dream of any physics major because you're in the middle of space with stars all around. That was the coolest thing. So yeah, there was that one, then there was a night sky, and then there was a winter one with like snow and everything. I can't believe I missed that. The funniest thing was this other girl came after me and just seeing her play with it was the most amusing experience of the whole day, to be yeah. honest, because she got so amazed. Like she put it on and she goes, whoa. That's and probably what like, you did too. Yeah, but like seeing that and someone else do that. And then she was like jumping around and going, oh my God. And she got tangled up in the wires a few times because oh, she no. was moving around so much. And then she went to the snow one and she just sits on the ground and goes, I miss snow. <laughs> What I think is the future of VR is not VR. I think it's a it's a combination of augmented reality and virtual reality. Right now, VR is really fun, but it's also very lonely, and there's no there's no way to connect back to the real world. Um, what would be amazing is to be able to have the, uh, to be able to do all these these things in VR and, and draw in 3D, um, and interact with it with a virtual world while being superimposed in the real world. Mm -hmm. uh, so it would be a mix between AR and VR. And for example, you have um, a lot of uh, money and research is being put in right now into um, uh, VR, social VR. So you would you would hang out with your friends around a table, but in VR. So it would be like Skype, but on drugs. Um, 
And what I, what I think would be... Re I, I don't think people are ready to put on a closed headset to, just to see their friends. I think people will be ready to put on a headset once um, the headset is able to project a 3D model of your friend on a real chair that's sitting in the corner of a room. So instead of having to go in a completely different world, you just want to be on your couch, um, and then the, the, the headset will realize, hey, there's a couch, you see the couch, and then it projects the 3D model of your friend on that couch. And on the other side, your friend is maybe sitting at a bar, and then he sees you, uh, or a representation of you as a, as a 3D model um, next to the bar. That's, that I think the superposition of, of both realities, I think, is, is the future. You guys have a project to do right now in your programming for engineers class, right? Yes, yes. So basically, you could choose between the Oculus Rift or a Falcon, and my group chose the Oculus Rift. So basically, what we're trying to do is create a program to practice early stimulation on children, creating an environment and different um, situations where they have to either grab a ball or pull a drawer, push it back in, and kind of just focus on their hand-eye coordination. As soon as we got it, we realized that we really could do anything we wanted with it. Some, some people are looking into training. Uh, mm -hmm. So surgery, for example. Uh, I believe that chemistry would also, believe, uh, will also contribute if you want to have uh, molecular structures and trying to understand... Um, I'm not that good of a chemist, <laughs> really. Uh, but I do know that uh, some molecules are, are like better represented in 3D and better interacted with in 3D. Um, and education also. I think it, it might be a lot, more uh, e a lot easier for certain, for certain person to understand the concept of a vector, for example. If you see it in VR, if you see it in space, uh, a vector becomes uh, very obvious. You know, some other groups are making games. Others are making something related to healthcare. It really lets you be creative. You can get your own idea of what you want to do, if you want to help something with it, if you want your environment to look a certain way or another. You really have so many options. I'm teaching a class on virtual reality next semester. Um, the class is called Alternate Realities, and it's going to explore the, the possibilities of interaction design within a 3D environment. Um, so now that, we're, now that we're not constrained to a, to a flat plane as a screen, where you just have one mouse and one keyboard to interact with, what happens, um, what kind of controllers, what kind of interactions, what kind of movement can you, can you foster in a 3D space that makes sense? So the particular application we're running tonight um, is called Tilt Brush, and it allows you to draw in 3D. And it, it, you, can, you clearly see the, di the different affordances of what is interesting to draw in 3D, in 3D and what is not. Um, so geometric shape, straight lines, uh, spheres, uh, bodies of mass that you can move around, or sometimes more attractive than just uh, trying to write. Trying to write is surprisingly hard <laughs> in VR. Yes, definitely. It would be one of those things where even though I'm sure it's a, a lot of work, you would really have to spend a lot of time with your projects. I think it's something that I wouldn't mind doing. You know, regardless of being able to play with it once it's done or play with other people's projects or just kind of have a peek into all the different things that you can do is just great. But I feel like all the IM classes are so cool. They're so different. Could you talk about the class that you're teaching this semester, Politics of Code? Oh, so yes. Yeah, so Politics of Code is the opposite. Um, it's, it's very much relating to the real world. And it's, um, it's, it's a mix of, of, of my two backgrounds. So it's an introduction to political science through, um, through the lens of software development. So every week we look at a particular concept um, in political science traditionally and then how it's being um, reinterpreted or distorted by the fact that computers are everywhere around us. Um, 
So, for example, the today uh, we had a section on labor, and and that uh, after looking at the very the very traditional definitions of labor, we we started talking about um, Uber and the automation of jobs and the replacement of certain individuals, and how where where is wealth creation happening when it's a computer doing it? We deal with how software has inherent biases and we read about and talk about these biases in what is perceived to be a neutral world of software. And we basically go over like the political and social implications of a lot of things in technology. Automation, artificial intelligence, algorithms which are used by like large corporations. What do you think about the politics of code class? It sounds very interesting, you know, especially for me, you know how I, I was talking about how I'm very confused between kind of the science area and the humanities and I feel like from what students talked about that class, it does a very good job of blending both in and finding like a common ground between them. Actually, I think that might be the first class I'd take, just because it really ties in with both of the things I want to do. Honestly, even having asked like so many people about it, I still can't imagine how that class actually goes, because it seems yes. to be connecting such far away things. Which I think is great, because prior to choosing classes and actually sitting down and being like, okay, you have to choose a major, well, not choose a major, but at least choose some sort of path going into college, I really could not find a way to mix the two together. And the fact that someone already did that and is actually playing around with it and teaching it in, the, in that way is just great for me. Maybe you should be an interactive media major. <laughs> Maybe. But you know what I think is most fascinating about classes like that? They actually have so much influence on the real world. Politics of code, its entire purpose is basically based on increasing social impact. Mm, I hope students, they will not take anything for granted. Everybody has particular motives, everybody has particular agendas. Um, as long as you're aware of that and that you pick your own agenda, it's fine. Um, and when the, the example of Uber uh, is that Uber, Uber would be a great company if they didn't lie constantly. What they do is that they're always hypocritical to their drivers, to their riders, uh, to the greater public. They're saying, hey, we're offering you a job. No, it's not a job, it's a contract. Um, and they're telling to their writers, hey, you're just being really nice to, uh, to your driver. No, you're actually not really nice because you can't tip or you can't really... Um, do a fine rating. And so the, the Uber has an agenda and the agenda is not open, right? Um, as long as you can look at something and realize that, hey, it's not magic, it didn't come out of nature, it was built by certain people, what did, the, what did these people want to achieve? Once you know that, you can agree with it or not, but at least not be, not be passive. And it's crazy to think that something like interactive media, which you would think of as something just fun and games, could actually be concerned with a subject matter as relevant and serious as that. Yes, and I think that that's really what the professor was trying to do. And I think that's really because it all depends on the person and really what they want to do. I don't know. It's, it is very strange and very peculiar, but it's also my life. It's also what I think about constantly. If you want to make a change and if you want to have a social impact, you can definitely find a way to do that. And I think you can see this with Pierre, you know, because this is exactly what he was aiming towards. Yeah, that's basically the center of his research interests in general and just his professional life. My research interest is using computers to make people more politically active. Mm -hmm. um, where the statement is... It's right now the easiest thing. People will take the path of least resistance, right? And the easiest thing to do right now when you want to be politically active is share something on Facebook or sign a petition. It's something that you do. It's, it's a really straightforward way. 
Um, on the opposite, if you actually want to, to contribute actively, if you want to reach your representative, if you want to, uh, to survey what con Congress uh, is doing, if you want to have uh, some sort of actual impact in the political life, it's actually really hard from an interface or experience standpoint. And my research interest is can we take the designs of the private corporate world, which makes it super easy to interact with, which um, creates a great user experience, and apply that to um, governmental agencies? Uh, what happens when it's easier to contact the Department of Justice than to post something on Facebook? Does that mean that people are actually... Because people complain all the time, oh, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Okay, I'm going to give you all the means possible for you to say something. Will you still say something or not? This is when we see if we have another problem or not. <laughs> Maybe people have nothing to say, but at least they'll have the tools. About their specific projects. The first project that we saw from the Politics of Code class, actually. So it was the Draw a Scientist project. You would go on the front page, it would draw a scientist, and then you would be... Um, projected to uh, send to the, the gallery page and you would see how many people are uh, considered scientists to be male or female. So it's a project that I did with uh, Lama, the president of WISTEM, and Yana, the vice president, where the uh, user has to like draw a scientist. And like we very intentionally made the homepage very gender neutral. All the icons in the back are uh, just very like general uh, science icons. And we only ask one question, which is like, how does the scientist look like? Uh, we really try to like just get whatever preconception is in the back of, back of the mind of the user um, without trying to direct them anyway. And then after they click, they would go to a page which, which links them to the WeSTEM website, uh, shows them the video that was uh, made last year uh, with the live version, I guess, quote unquote, uh, of the actual uh, process of asking people what science looks like, and they can see all the other submissions. And in general, maybe we'd get like about one in 20-ish people drawing a, a woman as a scientist. And I think that going into it, I already kind of knew most people would not draw a woman. Cecilia actually did something very interesting, which we were told. She was the only person to have ever done that out of all the 50 or so submissions that they have received. I drew both a woman and a man. I knew that it was aiming towards seeing what other people defined as a scientist. I just didn't want it to be a situation where gender was actually going to influence what I drew. I made little capes on them just to be fun and say like, yeah, scientists saving the world. It was just kind of what, what came to my mind. Another project was uh, a survival kit. Um, and it was about uh, classification and biases on the internet. And so it, would, uh, it presented itself as being a quiz which would help you navigate the global world and you would, uh, you would answer particular questions, and then based on those questions, it would estimate uh, what kind of stereotype you were. So you could be 30% Asian, 40% uh, Caucasian, 40% South American. Um, and then once you have those results, they give you some sort of like of stereotypes uh, of those different cultures so that you can fit the mold better. So this second project from the class, which is described by Pierre, we did not actually get to see on display. However, another project that we did not witness as well, but we got to hear from the creator of it. A Chrome extension called Temples to Toilets. And the purpose of that was to just replace some words in your browser with other words to highlight issues that we thought were important. And I guess the reason why we did that was because web browsers are basically how you get all of your information nowadays. You go onto the internet, or Google or something like that, but you go through a web browser. 
and replacing words on the web browser was exciting because we felt like we had some element of control on the users' lives and we could throw issues at them that we thought were important but that they may not see on their daily browsing experience. And then the last project was a Chrome extension which uh, addressed the fact that uh, sometimes on the internet you talk about certain things but not the others and it would automatically replace some words with others. So for example in any web page it would replace the word home with homeless. So for example on the, on the top left of Facebook you would always have homeless then. Um, it would replace jobs with unemployment. So at the bottom of every website you always have a jobs or a careers and that would be replaced by unemployment. And so it's sort of bringing uh, back certain issues that people don't talk about enough. Some other projects that we heard about were from the Intro to IM class. So I tried to make like a swing, which didn't work out well. It just ended up looking like a kicking foot. We also made like, uh, we recreated uh, art from like the 1970s when computer graphics wasn't really exactly colorful or um, detailed or it didn't really have as much resolution as it has today. So what we had to do was we pick something that um, inspired us and then recreate that and add like our own um, effects and stuff to it. So if you look behind you, you'll see also that on the wall. And that was fun as well. Like just seeing what they were able to do then and comparing it to what we are able to do now is so much, like, there's so much difference. I feel like those had such a different feel to them. They were far more fun and less political, which is the whole other side to interactive media, the side you'd often think of as the playful side. Not only is it the side that you'd think of, but it's the side that people usually describe interactive media as. So we heard from almost everyone that really, if you could summarize interactive media, it would just be fun. Interactive media, uh, due to its flexibility and, and broadness, is a very fun feel to work with. Interactive media, you can very quickly make something you're very proud of. That's a lot of fun that expresses you. And that's something that's, that's a very attractive proposition to a lot of people. Yeah, and I think it's interesting with how that's the intro to IM class, so that's basically what they want you to start out with. Because it's such a good way to kind of just ease yourself into the field. Because you start out with that, and so you get rid of the fear, which is like, oh, I've never played with a circuit before, I cannot program this, I cannot do this, I've never touched any of this hardware, I'm not an engineer, I could never do any of these things. Like, just going to the workshops, it's the same sort of feeling. The first workshop I went to, involved programming uh, using Python in the terminal to make the terminal draw stuff for you, which was like, I can never do that. I don't program. I have no clue how it works. But I did it, and it was actually so much fun. The projection mapping one also. Like, we know nothing about projection or projection mapping. We didn't know it was a thing. Yeah, cause exactly. We didn't even know what it was. And then yeah, we just kind of showed up. And Yeah, and then in less than two hours, it was us making something and seeing it, being projected on a wall. And being huge perfectionists about it, actually. <laughs> yeah. Not merely being able to do it, but being able to be picky about it. And the third workshop that I went to recently was actually a boot camp version of the first few weeks of the Intro to IM class, which was an intro to Arduino. And Arduino is basically a microprocessor, so it's like a mini computer board, which you can program through your computer to do cool stuff with hardware. And what we ended up doing was basically making it like flicker lights, and you had a little switch that you could turn, and the way you would turn it would change the frequency with which the light switched, which is like a very simple thing, but it was so cool. It was like, I don't think I could do this. And now I can. It's just 
I feel like the whole program is kind of like that. Yeah, so in case you guys can't notice, Ria really is all for <laughs> workshops. So <laughs> you guys should really try it out. I think she dragged me into a workshop and I loved it. And sometimes it can be scary and you really need to convince yourself to go because it is two hours. And I know that in college time, that is precious, precious time. But really, I would definitely encourage all of you guys to actually try one of them out. And you'll see that it will really make you want to come to more. And it's worth it because not only is it fun, but you get something out of it. Like Ria said, it's like, I didn't know how to, that I could do this and I didn't know how to do it, but now I can. It can really give you insight to different projects and personal things. Just like it really it has influenced me with the Oculus Rift project. It's very, very interesting how everything ends up connecting. I feel like that really gives you a feel for the field and just how concentrated it is on hands-on components of it. It's all about being there with a project and making something for yourself. So far, interactive media has been a lot of like experimenting and trying to make it work without like finding out the, the, like the fundamental principles behind it. And I think that's pretty cool because you get your hands dirty in a way, just like start working on it pretty fast and start making cool stuff. Well, for me, it's just fun getting to do like all the hands-on stuff, like working with the Spark Fun kids. And yeah, I've never really done that, being a computer science major. We never go anywhere. We're always in our rooms doing labs and stuff. So to get to do this in class is really fun. Because you can then see that it doesn't just stay in theory it actually becomes something practical that you can do something tangible with. Another thing that I think is absolutely amazing though, and that we've had come out of so many interviews, is how applicable I am is to everyone, to all kinds of people, frankly. There's something in it for everyone. In my, class, in my classes, we've had engineers, um, visual art majors, um, computer scientists, everyone, and they all like come together on an idea or a problem and then like they bring different elements to the problem but at the end of the day you come up with a project that is interesting. The thing is with interactive media you you can come from like very different backgrounds and still do it while for engineering you need to like know that you want to do engineering and it at least in my experience like there's a lot of people in my interactive media class who aren't specifically like in interactive media as a minor or major, just doing it because they want to try something new. I think because a lot of people think of, uh, in terms of careers, for example, you're either like a science person or an arts person. And I really love the fact that interactive media specifically tries to bridge different areas together. Mm -hmm. So you're not specifically an electronics person or an artist, but you actually take a little from every field and you try to bridge it together. And I think when you make use of different fields and different career paths and different like exposures, then you can actually make something that's really creative and really innovative. If you like to figure things out, if you like to have a very unusual problem and you want to find an unusual solution, yes, I think that's what IM is for. I've, I've worked in situations with um, IM people or ITP people and computer scientists and there was always this, night, this nice moment where, where the, the person from ITP would come up with a solution that was completely crazy and then the computer scientists say, well, no, that wouldn't work. But okay, yes, it did work. And then we clean up the code and we make it, we make it properly. But the, but the thinking of, okay, let's, let's be really crazy and have no limits whatsoever, uh, I think that's very specific to, to interactive media. 
like most of the people we interviewed were CS majors for some reason. <laughs> but regardless of that, there's so many people in there who are artists, who are humanities people, as well as science people. And I feel like that's kind of the best of NYUAD in general seen in that program, just how interdisciplinary and welcoming it is to absolutely everyone. It's also something that, even though, as we talked about, can be intimidating, it's also very friendly in the, in the sense that it sounds like so much fun. So everyone kind of wants to try it or you just be able to interact with it to some extent at some point. And I think that also speaks to kind of what we're talking about with gender. You know, it feels like people in general, regardless of gender, will feel more welcomed by it. Like, honestly, I feel like they care so little about who you are that as a person, like in terms of where you come from, what's your gender, that I feel like other STEM fields should really learn from it. Yeah, and I think it's not just because they don't see it, but because it really does not matter. There's, a, there's also something about um, interactive media, which is that you, you do create a lot of things, but um, as a corollary, you present, the, you present them to your public. And so even if something is not good, you're still showing it. And so we're judging you on what you've made and not who you are. There's never, there's, if, if whether you're a girl or a boy, whether you're black or white or yellow or pink, uh, you're still, do you, are you doing something good or not? And, and it's not, oh, we'll wait for the final paper to see if something is good. It's every, every week, every two weeks, we're making a, contrib- a contribution and you make something cool, you make something that's not cool. As we said, you can do so much with it, regardless of your background. Even if it co- you come from um, a place that's completely different, you can do something with it. I can still find something and get creative in different ways and there is still a way for me to use interactive media in that. It's not just that it doesn't matter, is that it can actually help you create something completely different and that's the whole point of interactive media, you know? What do you think about yourself being a woman involved in STEM? It's not really a question that I've had to ask myself here and it's odd because I know it's a question that a lot of women have to ask themselves being part of the field. The whole idea that we are making this podcast and giving so much importance to it shows really how big of a problem it can be around the world. But here at NYUAD, maybe, or maybe it's because of my background and my past or where I come from, I don't feel like it makes a difference. I just feel like I am a person who is studying engineering. I don't feel like I am making this groundbreaking change or influence being a woman and diving into a science major. It's very interesting to think that for some people that really has a weight on their decision and it's pretty sad to hear, but we cannot let it make a difference. Take down the Star Wars paraphernalia. (laughs) As seriously, like go into classrooms and then remove things where you have uh, Jedis and Knights and and space explorers or, or Things that are explicitly male-oriented, or or keep it, but put more Princess Leia and and more 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 female heroes. But I think the the I think it happen it happens more in middle school, elementary school, and high school mm-hmm. than in college. In college, it's almost maybe maybe again I'm I'm only in the world of interactive media, so it's different. But I I feel like yeah, if if you're persuaded in high school that you're gonna be a science major or a STEM major. Um, then most of the work is already done. Uh, once you're in college, you already have the character and the, the personality to power through. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and 
don't know, don't listen to what people tell you. Being out there and talking yeah. to girls, uh, I think just if you, uh, something that really motivates people is seeing a role model, or not, not a role model, but someone who has done something before them. A lot of people are afraid to be the first person or the first example. So when you do something and you talk about it and you tell girls, just around you, it doesn't have to be in a formal environment, but just talk to girls about it and tell them that it is something that they could pursue themselves and that could encourage girls to do so. But also we could get involved in different like NGOs or initiatives like the ones that try to reach girls specifically or uh, things like Girls Who Code and the schools that are specifically targeting girls. Um, so yeah, I think just by being in the field, you're, you're playing a huge role as being an example, but you should also like go out of your way to talk to girls and try to encourage them to join the field as well. I feel like the ideal, just like with the Draw a Scientist project, should be not consciously trying to empower women that's not the end goal that's just the means to it but the end goal should be having it not matter having it not be a consideration at all one last question to finish off is what is the most ridiculous thing you have ever heard said about women in stem you know i don't think comments need to be completely ignorant in this case in order to be ridiculous i think that just the simple fact that some people are surprised or incredulous at the fact that I am studying engineering. I know com coming from Guatemala, when people would ask me, you know, kind of what I what I want to study and I answered engineering, it was definitely a shock to a lot of people because it was saying, you know, like, what? You, a tiny woman, because <laughs> I am tiny for those who don't know me. <laughs> yeah, a tiny woman tackling such a difficult and I don't know, scary major. I just feel like that in itself is ridiculous and shouldn't happen because it shouldn't be something surprising it should just be you know oh okay that's what you want to do great just like it would be if a man answered the same way i have a role model but i don't like her work um so it's uh she's a professor and artist uh, called lauren mccarthy uh, who's currently assistant professor of arts at ucla um and she's incredibly talented. Uh, for those of you who know, she started a project, uh, P5JS, out of NYU. Um, and so it's a, it's a really big open source project that's porting the processing language to uh, JavaScript and to, uh, to make it web-based. Um, she has an incredible academic career. She's she, does, she, she works on both the very, the very human and the very subjective and the very emotional, but also is concerned about um, issues of the greater civil society and things that are less anthropomorphized but as, as important um, as freedom of expression, um, laws for, for tele telecommunications and, and the more arid part of it. Um, but yeah, Laura, Lauren is someone that I admire a lot and uh, I'd like to be like. Thank you so much for joining me this week. It has oh, been it's my so pleasure. Much fun. A lot of fun. <laughs> it has been a lot of fun, and I hope to see you on the show again. That, yeah, me too. I really look forward to making more podcasts. And thank you for listening. We love you guys. <laughs> yep, thank you for bearing with us through our awkward laughter. But we hope you will tune in again next week on Saturday for another episode of The Steminist. Bye bye. Saludos.